Okay, I think our kids are all ensconced. We're a bit of a swinging mic here. Okay. Okay, where it stops, nobody knows. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 to 56. Hear the word of the Lord. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12, and while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, you have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, 
If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for just one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it's possible for this cup to be taken away, if it's possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And while he was still speaking, Judas one of the twelve arrived with arrived, and with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And so going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. He drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled? Let's say it must happen in this way. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples desert, deserted him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. In 2016, Robert Kay fulfilled his lifelong dream and he climbed Mount Everest. Now, he's not the first to do it. He's one of many uh, to do it and he's just an ordinary guy. He was an Aussie originally, but he was living in the US for a long time. But this was his lifelong dream. He'd been preparing for it for almost 40 years. He had climbed the highest mountain in every other continent to prepare for this. He had tried it three times previously and not succeeded. And this time, he got altitude sickness on the way down. He nearly died, but he made it. He made it to the top. And he fulfilled his dream, his life goal. And he said, I was super elated to be there. It was beautiful. He said, I was the highest person on earth. 
And I wonder if there's something in your life that you think is waiting to be fulfilled. Uh, Fulfillment is defined in the dictionary as the achievement of something desired, promised, or predicted. Kind of this looking forward to something that hasn't happened yet, hoping, expecting that it will. Is there something in your life, a hope or a goal or a desire or an expectation that was not fulfilled, that has been frustrated or disappointed? And here in the modern West, we also have the idea of personal fulfillment, right? This satisfaction, this is what the dictionary says, satisfaction or happiness as a result of fully developing one's potential. This idea of I haven't yet become all I'm meant to be. I don't feel satisfied about myself, my life. I'll be fulfilled when I am everything I should be. And I'll feel good about myself and my life and who I am. And this idea that's everywhere out there that we are to self-actualize, we're to make ourselves, to create an authentic me, and then I will feel fulfilled. Well, today, we're continuing through the Gospel of Matthew, and things are coming to a head. And Jesus, he's been talking about fulfillment the whole way, but he starts talking about fulfillment a lot in this passage. He really lays it on thick as he says that all this has taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Now, on the surface of it, it might seem that he's talking about something a bit different, That's what I've just been saying, fulfilling Scripture, fulfilling what the Bible says. But what Jesus says about the fulfillment of Scripture speaks into our own longing for some kind of fulfillment in our lives. He's talking very personally about fulfilling the whole goal and purpose of his life in such a way that he brings fulfillment to the goal and purpose of our lives. And so you see, Jesus is about to die. Uh, We're heading into, this passage is heading the night before Good Friday, into Good Friday. And Jesus is coming to his own Mount Everest, this death on a cross. And this is no random event. And he is keen to show it. And the first way he shows it is in the timing, right? The timing is really crucial because it's the Passover the festival of unleavened bread, and that's already started. It's the first day of the feast. And this is what Jesus calls his appointed time, right? So this is the time it's got to happen. It has to happen during the Passover. And the interesting thing uh, is that those who are plotting to kill Jesus, they have already decided not to do it now. I don't know if you've seen that before. In a few verses before what Rosemary read, Uh, We read that, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So they want to kill him, and they've got Judas, one of his followers, ready to betray him, but their plan is to wait. Wait till after the festival, Jerusalem is full of Jesus' disciples. This is not a good time. And it's already the first day of the festival. So we've got to wait till afterwards. It's not going to go down today. It's not meant to go down today, but it will. It's all going to happen tonight. And the reason why it's going to happen on this night is because Jesus sets it up to happen tonight. 
We read in verse 21 that Jesus brings this up in conversation, right? They're around the, the, the feast of the Passover, he and his close followers, and he says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they're all stunned and upset, right? And they're saying, surely not, not me. It can't be, Lord. What do you mean? And of course, what's Judas got to do? He's got to play along, right? He's got to fake it, okay? And he says, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Now, you might notice that the other disciples call Jesus Lord, and Judas won't call him that. He settles for the rabbi, teacher, right? You're not my Lord. I won't call you that. And Jesus' reply is, you have said so. Which is a funny kind of answer, and it basically means, I wouldn't say so, Judas. I wouldn't accuse you. But since you're asking, I can't deny it. If you're asking me, I've got to tell the truth. All right, so Jesus has actually drawn Judas out to get him to act. Or Judas disappears at this point. And I think we're meant to see him running panicked to the priest, going, right, going, he knows. Jesus knows. We have to act now. No, tonight. We have to act tonight. It's now or never for Judas because he thinks that Jesus wants to avoid this. He thinks Jesus maybe slip away and escape. Maybe he's going to mount a coup uh, tonight. And so uh, Jesus is just keen to get it happening, right? And so after Judas is gone, he explains why. Why now? And the reason is that his death is going to fulfill the Passover. So during the feast, he takes bread, he gives it to his disciples, and he says, take and eat, this is my body. And then he takes a cup of wine, and he gives it to them. And he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So Jesus' death brings forgiveness for our sins, and that is the brilliant news of the gospel, right? That through Jesus dying in our place, the guilt, the shame of all that we've done against God is washed away. It's taken away from us. But that word covenant there, that means that Jesus' death, the forgiveness of our sins, is about something much bigger than just us escaping judgment or something. Passover was all about a covenant, an agreement between two parties, in this case between God, the king, and Israel, his subjects. And this is a covenant sealed in blood. And this stands over the whole Old Testament, right? This hope, this promise, this expectation for Israel. But it was never realized, never fulfilled because of Israel's sin. And Jesus' death, his forgiving of sin, is going to fulfill it. It's going to make it happen. Now, you might know the story of Passover. Right? Israel, centuries before, was enslaved in Egypt, and God brings judgment on the firstborn son of every family, except the Israelites. They are spared because they sacrifice a Passover lamb in place of the eldest son. And this, uh, this is what gets them set free from Egypt. And God brings them out of Egypt, and he brings them to Mount Sinai. Now, we've been hearing about mountains, right? and the bringing together of heaven and earth, this term. And he says to them, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the goal. This is the desire. This is the expectation that God has. It stands over all of Scripture. It's not just for God, it's for us. For our lives, our purpose, why God created people, right? 
a purpose never fulfilled in us because of our sin, a purpose fulfilled in us for us through Jesus being that Passover lamb for us, that we would be God's treasured possession, set apart from all the world, those of us who believe in Jesus, trust in him, with a special role to represent him to the world, something we could never pull off for ourselves. Now, I don't know what Everest stands in your mind, what in your life is the goal or the desire or the hope that might be unfulfilled. It might be a fine thing. You might pull it off one day. Maybe you've pulled it off already. Maybe maybe not. But can it beat this? To be the treasured possession of God. This is why Jesus' death had to happen when it did, the Passover. This is why he subtly arranged for his enemies to do it then, uh, contrary to their best plans. And this is also why it had to happen the way it did, which is what we're going to see now. The way it did, this ugly story of violence and betrayal and abandonment and shame and apparent defeat and execution, right? Because Jesus didn't just die. It was a pretty ugly way for him to go. But again, all Scripture pointed to it happening like that and having to happen like that to fulfill God's plan and purpose for us and our lives. See, as Jesus and his disciples are having this Passover festival, he suddenly changes tack in the conversation. He changes direction. He kind of says out of the blue, these confronting words, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus is predicting an attack. He's predicting death and the scattering of his followers. This is a picture of defeat. And just to his disciples, it probably sounds like Jesus is saying, you know, I give up, guys. Look, we've lost. Okay, we just need to call it, you know, we're defeated. And they're all like, yeah, nah, nah. Uh, don't give up, Jesus. We're going to win, right? Don't worry. We'll stand with you. We'll stand for you. If you've given up, if you can't stand, we'll stand. And they miss these comforting words of Jesus, right? But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Because it's not the feet. It's the path to victory. And even though they will be scattered, they're going to come through this. But they can't see it. They are looking for fulfillment elsewhere. They are looking for fulfillment. We've been hearing it throughout this term. They are looking for fulfillment in the things of the world, a worldly kingdom, success, power, political power. Changing things from the top down, right? And they try it, right? So in the garden, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas comes with a posse of armed men to seize Jesus. And what happens? Well, one of Jesus' companions reaches for his sword, draws it out, and strikes the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Not a great shot, but he had to go. And Jesus stops it, okay? He says, put your sword back in its place. This is not how we do things. This is not the kingdom I'm setting up, and I don't need it. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, about 72,000 angels? But how then will the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Must happen this way. This fulfills what scripture says. 
This fulfills what Scripture says has to happen. When he prayed earlier, before the, the, the soldiers turned up, he said, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And it, there is no other possible way. And Jesus submits to this. Because God's Everest, his goal, his plan, his desire from the beginning for us, spelled out throughout the Old Testament scriptures again and again, has to happen this ugly way. And why is that? Let's look at that Zechariah quote in context. Zechariah, this, this quote was from a couple of hundred years before Jesus, a prophet. And Zechariah said, Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. See this, this is fulfilling the covenant that was set up at Sinai, right? Israel, God's own people, belonging to him, his treasured possession, and he, God, would be their treasured possession. They would call on him. That's what's happening here, right? And it's got to happen through Jesus being struck down, his followers scattered. I mean, most of Israel will fall away, struck down and perish, but a remnant, Jesus' disciples, would survive. They would pull through. And through their being scattered by this attack, they would be purified, they would be refined by God to become the people that he meant them to be, belonging to him, calling on him alone. Before this, they were not gods, even though they, they probably thought they were. They were looking for fulfillment in other things, right? And it had to happen this way because they had to lose the things that they were looking to, lose their hopes, lose their goals, lose their expectations in the world uh, that were in the world and not in God. And I think sometimes we can be, you know, Christians can be a bit negative about the disciples scattering here, and, and it was the wrong thing to do, but really they had no choice. They had to fall. How could they stand? How could the disciples of Jesus stand if he was struck down? What were they going to stand on? What would it say about Jesus if they could stand without him? No, they had nothing without him, and they had to realize that. They are looking at all this stuff, a great political system, it's going to bring liberation and, and prosperity, we're going to set it up. God is saying, that is just a molehill, guys, I am going to take you up Everest. I'm taking you to the top. Climbing Everest hurts, so I've heard. I have not tried, tried it. I had a friend who, I have a friend who climbed up a mountain that was not Everest, but it was in the Himalayas. It was one of the smaller ones. It was training for months. And he still, it wasn't even the, the top of Everest. He still did, you know, did some damage to his, his legs. And it hurts. They had to let go of hoping. They had to let go of expecting elsewhere. The things that look good, the things that feel like fulfillment, that feel like they would satisfy. And they had to find it in Jesus alone. 
And it's only after Jesus rose from the dead could they stand. And they did, right? After he rose from the dead, they stood. And this is how Jesus fulfilled the promises and the hopes of Scripture of the Old Testament for them in them. And I wonder today if there is a hope or an expectation or a dream that you have in your life that you might need to let go of so that you can find the true fulfillment that is only in Jesus. And what might that be for you? Can you do that? But you see, Jesus, he dies at the appointed time, Passover, he dies in the appointed way, he's struck down by his enemies to fulfill all God's promises and plans for us in Jesus. But what I want you to see now is that if you have put your trust in Jesus today, that you have that fulfillment in Jesus already. And if you haven't, that you can find it in Jesus today if you come to him. So you see, Jesus is arrested. His followers scatter. They deny him, right? Peter denies knowing him. He stands before the Sanhedrin, this ruling council of priests and elders. And this takes us a bit beyond what we heard read by Rosemary. But this is his trial. And the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin are looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. And they get these witnesses to say different stuff, right? And they give false evidence, but none of the false evidence agrees. So I didn't, I didn't realize this before. It's because they're not ready, right? They, they haven't planned for it to happen tonight. Judas has come going, Jesus is about to do something. So they've gathered their witnesses. They haven't schooled their witnesses. They've got no time. It's a rush job. They weren't planning to do it tonight. They're actually playing to Jesus' tune now. This is his plan. Their plan to fall apart. This is Jesus' plan. He is heading for this. He's determined for this. And he will not defend himself to get out of this, right? So we read that he was silent against all these accusations. And so the priest, he's got to get Jesus to say something, right? And so he says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replies, you have said so. Which is interesting. It's what he said to Judas. It has this sense again, you know, Judas saying, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi? And, and, Judas, and Jesus says, I wouldn't accuse you, Judas, but if you're asking, I can't deny it. And here he's saying, I'm not going to claim to be the Messiah. Probably because you have the wrong idea. You think it's this political guy coming against the Romans, and you're going to make a charge stick against me on that. I can't, can't claim that, but if you're asking me, I'm, I can't deny it. I am the Messiah. And he's going to say the same thing a bit later to Pilate, the Roman governor. You've said it. Yeah, not how you think, but yes. But to these priests, he adds these amazing words. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And this is a crucial bit, right? This is more fulfillment of the Scriptures. In this passage Nathan mentioned last week, right? it's from Daniel 7, another Old Testament prophecy, And it's this vision of the culmination of history and the kingdoms of the world, like these Romans and the the priests that have have gone into partnership with them, right? They are depicted as savage beasts that rip and tear and claw. And we see that in our world today. My goodness, we do. And then we get this one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, led into God's presence. And we read in Daniel 7, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so we have this figure ruling from God's position, his throne. He's not a savage beast. He doesn't rule in that way. But he rules over the beasts. With God's authority, he puts down their rule. And Jesus is saying, I am that figure. I will rule like that. And more than that, this will happen from now on. Right? From now on, from this point. Through my dying, you, you, you having me executed, I will be struck down, my blood will be poured out, I will rise and ascend on the clouds of heaven, and from now on, from that point on, I will rule over every nation and power, including over you guys. But here's the thing, and this is what, uh, I want you to take this with you, okay? He already had that authority. He already had it, right? He didn't actually need to die to get God's authority. He's the son of God. Remember what he said to his disciples in Gethsemane. Don't you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, right? I've already got all the authority in heaven. If I say the word, every angel in the cosmos comes and lines up behind me, this invincible army, wipe out every enemy I have. I don't need to die. Not for myself. He died to fulfill God's plans and purposes for us. To bring us into this kingdom. From off the side of his enemies that were going to be judged, to belong to him. So not to be destroyed by him. So that in him, with him, we'll be all that we're meant to be. And that is fulfilled now. From that point on. So they cry blasphemy, right? They take him to the cross and they carry out his plan for him, his plan for us. And so Jesus fulfilled God's covenant with his people through the cross. He made all who trust in him and his death on the cross for them. He made them, he made us God's treasured possession are people belonging to God who represent him and he is reigning from God's throne with all powers and kingdoms under him. And in fulfilling scripture at the cross, Jesus has fulfilled every plan, every purpose, every goal, every expectation God has for your life. And if that is true, then that's got to change everything about how we live, right? I mean, our society has this story about the fulfilling life. And it's the Robert K story. And I'm not down on Robert K, but we all have a dream, right? We have a goal. We have a hope. We have an expectation for our lives, something to do or achieve or experience or the kind of person we want to be or the kind of life we want to live, the life that is well lived, the life that is worth it, right? That's the life that pursued that goal, that dream and fulfilled it. And, you know, if I'm doing that, if I'm living that, if I've experienced that, then I'm fulfilling what my life should be. But if you miss out, you miss out on a fulfilled life and life's best has passed you by. That is society's story. I don't know what that thing is for you. I don't know if you're nailing it. I don't know if that expectation has been frustrated or disappointed. What Jesus says here, 
you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, if you belong to him, then you are already at the top of Everest, right? Robert Kay thought he was the highest person in the world. This is a much higher position than Everest. You belong to God's people who the eternal, infinite, transcendent creator of the universe calls his treasured possession, who isn't, who is God, and not just God out there, but your God. Right? They will be my people. I will be their God. God who knows you and wants you to know him and who has given you the most prestigious role on earth to be his priest, to be his representative, to represent him, the eternal, the infinite, the transcendent one. Are you kidding? How can we do this? In your words and your life to a world that does not know him, and this is a role we carry out thankfully not by our achievements or our success or our qualities or goodness or anything, but by living in faith, by faith in Jesus who has done this and, and achieved this for us. Now, there is nothing wrong with climbing Everest, and good on Robert Kay and everyone else has done it, and well done, and I couldn't even attempt it. Nothing wrong with, with those goals or whatever that is for you, okay, if it happens. But if it doesn't happen, you will be okay too, because there is no higher life, there is no higher calling than knowing and walking with God. If you get to the end of your life and you have known God and walked with him, what more could you have achieved, could you have experienced? Now, I do not want to deny or nullify the pain, grief, and loss that people experience in life, right? I do not want to say that's nothing, that if you're in a situation that is hard or frustrating or disappointing, or lonely, or painful, right? That is hard. We, we, we still wait for Jesus to return and make everything new and to experience the fulfillment in this world. In our own lives, we watch the news as well. We know we're still waiting for him to come back, and it's hard. I don't want to deny that. I'm just saying all that stuff cannot take away every plan and purpose that God has for your life being fulfilled. And like Jesus' disciples being scattered and like Jesus himself going to the cross, this is often the way that God draws us to find our fulfillment in him alone and what he has done through Jesus on the cross. So can I encourage you today to push into knowing God if you trust in him, to pursue knowing God more, and if you don't trust in him, that invitation to come to him and find him in Jesus is there. We push into knowing God, not as some compartment of your life amongst all the other compartments, right? But as the aim and goal and purpose of all the compartments of your life, in your family life, in your marriage or your singleness, in your work, in your serving in church, in your rest and recreation, in your times of prayer. May they become saturated with this understanding. It's all fulfilled in Jesus. You speak to yourself, what are the promises, the plans, the goals and expectations for my life that God has spelled out in Scripture and fulfilled 
through the cross of Jesus. And how can I, in this area of my life, make him and his kingdom and his name, and the magnifying of his name, my end goal, because it's about him, rather than trying to do these things to find some fulfillment for myself other than him. Will you do that today? Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we want to praise and thank you for all you have done through Jesus going to that cross for us. As we think through the entirety of of Scripture heading up to that event and all the promises and all the hopes and all the expectations you've spelled out for your people. The heights and how that is ours, that position of being belonging to you, your treasured possession and having you as our God, that this is fulfilled for us simply through trusting what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for that. And we confess there are so many shiny things in the world that, that draw our attention away, and we think if I had that, if I achieved that, then I will have made it, and then my life will have been a success. We turn our eyes back to your son and show us and may it sink deep into our hearts the knowledge that there is no greater success than the success that Jesus has won for us, that we would know you, belong to you and walk with you. We pray that you would empower us to, to pursue that life and live out what you have called us into. We pray this in Jesus' name.